Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. This morning I'm returning to a study that we've done, and, and I, I looked for the date uh, indicating the last time that I had done this teaching, and I couldn't find it. So I, I apparently have just throughout nearly 17 years of, of sharing life with you guys here, um, that I've apparently just done it along the way. But why it came to mind is this past week, we finished up with everyone who had signed up to do a lamb for every home. And that's where Brenda and I had the opportunity to meet with each household individually and, and share in the table of the Lord communion and then to pray. And this past Sunday, there, there, there was just seeming a Holy Spirit emphasis to go back and revisit something. Now, <clears throat> every service here, we close the service with Numbers chapter 6. Verse starts at verse 23. <clears throat> we will typically lift up a hand of oath and covenant. I don't have time to teach about that. If you'd like to know why we lift up holy hands here, send me an email to Tom at New Hope Online. Tom at New Hope Online, and I'll tell you why we lift our hands when we worship. I'll be glad to send you that file or the MP3 or both if you'd like to know. But we don't do it because we're Pentecostal, spirit-filled, holiness, or whatever. We do it because it is an act of praise mentioned in Scripture that we believe is done by the flesh, physical, that does something that transcends the spiritual world. So typically with, with a hand of oath up, uh, lifted at the close of this service, we will do it today. So the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine on you, be gracious unto you, lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then we'll declare, you're the blessed of the Lord, blessed coming in and going out. What I don't quote is verse 27 because it was an instruction to the priests who were to give this blessing. Excuse me. Verse 27 goes on to say, giving specific instruction to Aaron, who would be the high priest, he would say, and so shall you invoke the name of the Lord your God. <clears throat> so shall they, excuse me, so they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. Now, please, please pay close attention that this was a priestly bless, blessing that the high priest would use to bless the people. It's important. The word invoke, now I've done teaching on the past on each of the stanzas of the blessing. That's not what I'm doing today. I'm focusing on one word, which is the word invoke, and why that's important. And uh, we need to understand that this blessing, this priestly blessing, I'm going to come back to in a moment, that one of the many names, excuse me, one of the many definitions that the word invoke means is to mark. Mark, a fascinating concept. So shall you invoke my name on them. You will mark them with my name. Now that's a powerful notion that comes out of the New Te Old Testament straight into the New Testament for we're the people of God. We pray in God's name. We're the people of his name. We are, we are people known by the name of God, the name, name of God, name of God. When we're taught to pray, we say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. And then we pray, thy kingdom come in his name. In John 14, Jesus said, after I'm gone, you begin to pray and pray in my name. And whatever you ask the Father will be done for you in the name of the Lord. Now here in Numbers chapter 6, he says, so shall you mark them with my name. You're going to put my name on them. 
Now, why is that important? I'll come back to it in a moment. But if we ask, well, this is a priestly blessing. As we come to the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to, to look at a passage of Scripture with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I'm going to go get a drink of water while you're turning there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Watch what it says here. This is the Apostle Peter writing years after the death of Christ. A really good Jewish boy that knew the Old Testament, of course. And he's instructing. I'm grabbing it sort of mid-context here. But it says, but you, everybody say you. Go ahead and be rude. Turn to the person next to you and do this. Point your finger and say you. Now, we're going to do it again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We read in the earlier parts of the book of Exodus when God begins to call his people out of captivity and to a place of promise. He says, here's what I want you to do. You're going to be a priest to the whole world. That was the failing of the nation of Israel and the Israelites in the Old Testament. That was their failing. They didn't seek to be a priest to the nation. They thought to own God for themselves. And I can build a case for that. I'm not here to to bash Israel or or bash the Israelites. It's just a matter of scripture. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Turn to the person next to you, point the finger and say, you are a priest. Now, we don't think of ourselves uh, because you hear people... Very often, believers who have known Christ, if you say, well, pray, well, I don't, I don't like to pray out loud. I'll, I'll turn and talk to God. That's okay. Um, I guess you don't have to, but you get to. And see, as, a, as one of those who stands in a priestly role, I, I like the, the, the Latin term for this. It's so cool that uh, it's uh, pontos, if I recall correctly. I don't have it in my notes. From which we get pontoon, which you think of the application. <clears throat> it's sort of a, uh, they use them to make floating bridges to float things. Pontoons, that which floats. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful picture of our priesthood. We are that thing that floats in between two worlds and provides the opportunity on which people can cross over and find God. That's what a priesthood does. That's what it did in the Old Testament. They were responsible for response and reconciliation. How many are thankful for, as we come to the New Testament, I was just talking about this yesterday morning, an early morning uh, little little Bible study, and um, that as we come to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews clearly says Jesus was the the last high priest. He was the high priest who did it all. He came in and he did what he did, and he said, and he sat down. At the right hand of the Father. In the Old Testament, that's something a priest never did. <clears throat> I want us to get this. The priest in the Old Testament, just every so often, would get to go behind the veil. He was the only one that would come in, and then he would come back out. The people never got to go in into the presence of the Lord. Can I tell you this? It is not an accident that when Jesus hung on the cross and when there was a darkness that covered for, for several hours, it said <clears throat> when he cried out, at that very moment, that veil was torn in half. 
I love that picture. Listen to me. How many are thankful that Jesus, the high priest, went behind the veil the last time? But when he went behind the veil the last time as our high priest, listen, he didn't leave us on the outside or come out alone. He turned around when he was on the inside of the veil and said, I got one last thing to do. I'm going to tear this thing in half. Now everybody gets to come in. Our Savior built a bridge from the profane to the holy. From those of us who were on the outside, he said, now you can come boldly. And I haven't gotten the chance to teach on this, but aren't you glad that the mercy seat of the Old Testament became a throne of grace in the New Testament? A mercy seat in the Old Testament was behind a veil and unapproachable. The throne of grace in the New Testament, God says, I tore the veil in half, now boldly come to the throne of grace where you can obtain mercy and grace in your time of need. Yeah, that's worth giving God praise for. Hallelujah. Woo, I like that. That's a good sermon right there. You just got your money's worth. <clears throat> Where'd I leave off? Okay. For you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Here's the purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received uh, mercy, but now you have received mercy. Around here at New Hope, our working definition of mercy is that God's refusal to, listen to me, to join us in any opinion of me above his opinion of me. I can defend that at great length, and, and many of you have been here when I've done it time and time again at great length. I, go, go read. It's God standing up in front of any opinion that would come at us and say, Blake Chesson, here's who and what you're going to be. Here's how you were raised. Here's what happened to you when you were a child, and here's who you're going to be. There is a Savior that stands at the front and right on the edge of your life who comes to walk with you every day and live in you just like they did every day in Eden that steps up and puts out a hand and says, no, I will not join that opinion. I won't empower that opinion. Now, here's the deal. <clears throat> if, you can choose, if you choose to listen to any other opinion of historical experience, of tragedy or trauma in your life that has sought to frame you for who and what you'll be. I don't care if it was something said to you, done to you, something done by you, a point of failure. I don't care what that voice or echo is that says, this is who you're going to be. There's a Savior that will step up. If that opinion does not agree with his opinion about who he's called you to be, there is a Savior that steps up and says, no, I won't join that opinion. And I'm going to keep picking on Blake and say, Blake, you can to join that opinion if you want, but you're going to join it by yourself. I won't be part of that opinion. That is an important, important, important note. So he says, now you had not received mercy, but now you have. I've reduced it to the say no of God. Mercy is the say no of God. And it's fun sticking those words in as you read the 74 occasions where mercy appears in the New Testament. You go across the blind man who cried out to Jesus as he went by. Remember? Another fringe person on the edge of the cloud. We don't even know their name. All we know is that they were blind. And they cried out and said, Son of David, have mercy on us. They didn't even know what they were asking for and certainly didn't know what they were about to get. Maybe a couple of coins or something. But they were essentially saying, son of David, say no to the primary thing 
And the primary opinion that identifies who I am and what I am to be, namely blindness. So what did Jesus do? He turned and said no to blindness. He touched them and they could see. When he walked away, they were no longer known as the blind men. How many know the day Jesus touched your life, whatever you were known as prior to that moment, when he walked away, he says, that is no longer who you are. That is no longer what you will be known by. I don't care who's known you by that. I don't care what behavior has identified you. That is not who you are. You are a child of God, a son, a daughter of the Most High, who just a moment ago you couldn't call Father, but now you do. And because he is whole and complete, First Peter says, so shall you be made whole and complete. When mercy walked away from you, you walked away with a different name than the one you had before the day mercy first met you. Hallelujah. That's another good place to say thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Okay? Now, we have the authority to proclaim the say-no of God. We're priests. We have the authority. The authority. So I'm going to go ahead and sort of ping, ping this back, a little sonic shot back to Numbers chapter 6 that says, You priests of the Lord, look at the person next to you and say, That's you. Come on, tell them. Say, That's you. Speak and say, The Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And if I may translate it this way, and I get to say that not only because the Lord will bless you, the Lord will make his face shine on you, the Lord will be gracious to you, the Lord will lift his countenance upon you, and the Lord will give you peace. And he's going to do all of that because the Lord's name is on you. You are one named and known by his name in Jesus' name. Now, As we go forward, let's take it a little further. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I have not gotten to come back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 since teaching about spirit time last year. This was one of the things I couldn't cover, but this just blew me up when I saw it. Here we go. Everybody say blessed. You can say blessed or blessed. Blessed, blessed or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch that. This word is the word from which we get eulogy. And and a matter of fact, the the Greek transliteration looks very much like the word eulogy. And it means the same thing. It means to speak, and it means to speak well. Typically, you'll hear eulogies given at funerals, where people will speak well of the person who has passed on. It means that. There are three ways that the word is used in the Bible, in, in the original Greek, and I guess we would use it as well. But it's used, listen, I'll never forget reading this article, probably 30 years ago. And it means this, we speak well man to man, watch, man to man means, I'm going to keep picking on you, Blake Chesson, that I'm going to say great things, I'm going to say nice things about Blake Chesson. But the second way that word is used is from man to God. And very often in translations such as the King James and others, it will say, it'll translate, you'll get this as praise be unto. Why? Because I'm speaking well concerning God, which constitutes what? An act of praise. So very often the word is rendered that way. But what it really means, Lord, I'll speak well concerning you, which is an act of praise. Watch again. This word is used man to man. It's used man to God, but it's used a third way. It's used God to man. And I'll never forget reading this phrase by this uh, Greek scholar. He said, but we must always remember that when God speaks, creative life and force is released. See, I can say, 
Blake, be blessed and mark him for blessing. That's great. I I get to do that. I can say, God, I praise you. But I can't say, God, let the, I can't say, let there be light. And suddenly the sun shines. You see, when God spoke blessings, it started with little utterances just like that. Little words, let there be light. See, when God speaks, creative life and force is released. And why is that important? Here we go. Blessed be the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. See, you see the first use? That's God to man. Look at on the screen. Uh, it's gone. Okay, God to man. Blessed be God. I speak well concerning God, who has done what? Blessed us. God has spoken well concerning us with every spiritual blessing, with every... Uh, I did go through this passage of Scripture four years ago, five years ago in the summer, where we took uh, a, a, an upper room series, we called it, and we looked at all of the occurrences of the word spirit that appears with a little s. I have been influenced by one of my very favorite theologians, Dr. Gordon Fee, who contends that the translators seek to, quote, quieten down the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those passages where he argues that it should say spirit blessing. Spirit blessing. So there was a conversation before the planet, before the foundations of the world. God the Father spoke with the Spirit, and God the Father and the Spirit spoke concerning us. It says it right here. Why is that important? You'll see in a moment. Here we go. Who has blessed us with every spirit blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in Christ, comma, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We learn when that conversation went on. That conversation went on between the Father and the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit before the foundation. Now, Johnny, I'll pick, pick on you. And it says, we're going to speak concerning Johnny before the foundation of the world. He will be the blessed of the Lord. He will come to know me as Savior. You see, God just knows that stuff, and I don't have time to chase the rabbit about predestination. I've done that times before. I don't believe choice is erased. Enough said for the moment. But in foreknowledge, he knew you would choose them, and in keeping with that, and in accordance with that, he says, here's things, the blessings that are going to come to you. Here's what we have declared for you. Why is that good news? Everybody look this way. Because God will not wait until March the 4th, or the 5th, or the 6th, or 7th, on the day you pray the prayer, when you say, Father, I pray that this thing I need unleashed in my life would come. I pray, God says, I've already spoken before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God has spoken. We can't wrap wrap our head around it. I talk about the timeless, spaceless, supreme, extra-dimensional being. I've been quoted on that more times than I can recall of people making fun of my 10-word definition of God. Matter of fact, I read something this morning when we were leaving Covenant Community Ministries to move here, one of the little things, and I found it because of word search I was looking for in my, in my files, and it was a letter written by a person that said, I, uh, I will miss Pastor Brenda for these reasons and that reasons. I'll miss Pastor Tom for these reasons. I won't miss him because he can't say the word God. He has to say a supreme, extra-dimensional, timeless, spaceless being. <clears throat> so I laughed when I read that. I'd forgotten about that. But here's the deal. We say God, and we don't think of that. God is not bound by time and space. He created it. Space, time, and matter. And that just amazes me always. 
that God doesn't have a daily crisis. I don't have to worry about waiting in line and whether my prayer can get to him. He spoke concerning you. He blessed us. And the spirit, spirit blessings in heavenly places before the foundation of the world that we will be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, why is that important? Matthew chapter 16. When God, when Jesus speaks, God in the flesh speaks concerning the church of Jesus Christ, the word church means the called out who call forth. It's what the word meant in classical Greek 600 years before Jesus ever used the word. It represented a group of citizenry within Greco city-state constructs that had the power to vote. And they decided on three things. Military, uh, civil referendum, and uh, uh, I forgot the third one. Uh, military defense and civil referendum, and I think adjudication, other, other adjudicated issues. But they had primarily three things they spoke to, but they had the power to change and affect government rule. That's the word that God uses here, that Jesus uses. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, he's just asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Watch this. And the reason I included this line is because of the last five or six words. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is where? That's important to speak. Everybody say, in heaven. Where, what is the word used to identify where we were blessed, that God spoke spirit blessings over us where? Before the foundation of the world? In the heavenlies. I love that. Okay. Verse 18. I also say to you that you're Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Now I put New American Standard Translation on the screen. It's the one I read most often. And I use it here because this really brings the original language right over in some very uh, really, uh, you look at the sentence and the, 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 the sentence construction and you say, it's weird. Okay. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth. Everybody look at the screen. Whatever you bind on earth. Wow. Split the words. Go back to the previous scheme. Okay. And whatever you bind on earth. Do you see the last three words? Would you say them? Shall. Everybody say them, please. Shall have been. It's a, it's a weird construct. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound, where? In heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed, where? It's a shall have been. Why is it a shall have been? Because the shall have been already happened. Wait, what do you mean shall have been? God spoke before the foundations of the world concerning us. What does that have to do with this blessing? Well, that word means to mark. Now, years ago when I, when I read this, uh, when I was teaching on this, probably 30 years ago, when I read the various definitions from invoke, which means to put my name on. It meant to mark. Not long before that, laser guiding and laser tag missiles had become, this was in just the late 80s or early 90s. I, I probably should have fact-checked when laser guided missiles, but they became, Come, began to be known. And there was a means by which they do it. Now they do it by GPS designation. But early on, they would use sort of strike teams on the ground. That is soldiers, boots on the ground. And they would use a device to mark a target. They would say target painted. But then they still do that. But they would send them and it would mark the target. Now, 
then some way two, three hundred, I don't know, I don't have, I didn't research how far they can fly, but hundreds of miles away. I don't know if it's not thousands now. But that target would be marked, and that missile would be launched. Now, since they've developed <clears throat> radar technologies and anti-missile technology, and one of the most remarkable ways to, to, do, to guarantee that a missile hits the target is either they've got to pick a path that flies around those outposts or they remove the radar locations altogether. That same militaristic language is used by Jesus Christ. It's triumphal militaristic language when, he would, when Paul writes in the, in the uh, Ephesians and Colossians and he uses this language that said, Jesus Christ triumphed over them. It was a military conquest language. You see, here's the deal. The missiles that are being launched at us don't come from 300 miles away. These missiles have been made ready before the foundation of the world. They're missiles of breath blessing. They're response from the heaven side of the equation. God says, I'm waiting for you to simply mark the target and call it in. You're the priests of God that have the ability to invoke my name on your life and even in a very subjective fashion when it says hell and its military strategy right there in Matthew chapter 16, the gates of hell, that's the councils, referendums, and strategies. It's what the word represents. If you want to know more about the teachings, send me an email. I'll send you a link to it. But it is a military action to impede the advancing of the kingdom of heaven. But the good news is, is God has spoken in the heavenlies concerning us before the foundation of the world. He doesn't wait for your prayer to come up with an answer. This timeless, spaceless God has known every prayer you will ever pray. There's, the way I'm saying it is wrong. But before, that's why this language is there. He's, he's calling us to say, take a stand, O priest of God, child of God, that has the capacity to mark a target there right now in this generation, just like the priests did in the Old Testament. For you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, God's people of my own possession. I've put my name on you. Now I want you to put my name on your life at moments that you need it called in from the other side. And here's the good deal. Whereas we read in the book, of Daniel that Daniel prayed and for 21 days he waited and finally the answer came and there was an angel came and Daniel said what's up I prayed 21 days ago and the angel responds and said and God sent me from the moment you prayed he launched the missile but I got hung up in hell's radar system out there around the edges that there was a prince over Persia that got in the way I had to fight with him it took me 21 days and I got around him beloved hear me I was part of a special ops group that used to do this kind of stuff and still does that kind of mission. So I guess I have a personal sort of identity with it in that regard. But we had the ultimate strike team go before. It was a one-man team that said, I'm coming to the planet and I'm going to take out every radar installation of hell that would otherwise get in between where heaven is and where you are. And on the day you begin to call in a strike from heaven, their radar systems have been rendered null and void. For I triumphed over them in majesty and led them on display and exposed them. Here's the deal. People don't pray. People don't pray. Do you understand who you are? I'm a priest of the most high God. Let me just talk to the men for a minute, and I'm not limiting it to men. I, matter of fact, just this past week, I was said to me again, well, you know, the man is the priest of his home. I said, show me that in the Bible, please. 
It is not in the Bible. Enough said about that. So I'm not limiting it to men. I'm just picking on men because they're sort of my tribe I can look at. Where are you getting up every day and just saying the simple prayer? Father, today, again, I know that, that we have been marked for heaven in terms of where we're born again. But, Father, I just mark my home. I walk around. I pray for my wife for this issue. Father, I pray healing on her leg. I pray that it would go and just, just in the name of Jesus. I pray for my children and my children's children. I pray for healing in their body. I pray that my grandchildren, that, that Christina and Eloise and Brenda Grace would grow, that they would be marked right now by the heritage of this household in the name of Jesus, that they would grow and live to glorify you every day of their life, that they would know a full life, that they would not listen to the whispers and the hisses of this world that's around them. But Father, I mark them for blessing again today in the name of Jesus in ways beyond what their little minds can even comprehend. Holy Spirit, just launch from heaven and strike them today with some sense of your presence and awareness that's beyond that. Where are the people of God that will rise up and say, I'm a priest of the Most High God, and the priest in the Old Testament said they could mark people for blessing. I'm going to mark my home. I'm going to mark my life. I'm going to mark the realities because there is a missile that shall have been waiting on the launch pad to strike my life. And our wonderful savior came out ahead and took out the radar systems that would try and block it or prevent it from getting to me. My savior on the cross triumphed over them magnificently and finally is there anybody here that's glad for that today hallelujah thank you for joining us for the new hope sermon of the week for more information about this podcast or other resources visit newhopeonline.com